From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the Chesapeake Bay, Virginia is a mecca for outdoor travel and adventure. Virginia Outdoor Adventures podcast is the ultimate guide for local outdoor recreation, including hiking, camping, kayaking, and so much more. Get the information and the inspiration to plan your own adventure right here in Virginia. I'm your host, Jessica Bowser. When darkness looms, is it possible for nature's light to guide us back? Kevin Conley, author and wildland firefighter, joins us to answer just that. In an episode that's as raw as it is real, we follow Kevin's harrowing trek from the brink of despair through his battle with severe panic attacks and depression to the catharsis and clarity he found in the solitude of the outdoors on a 3,500-mile bike ride across the country. His narrative, captured in Above the Ashes, isn't just about personal triumph. It's an intimate tour of nature's healing landscapes and a story of redemption that speaks to the resilience we all possess. Let's go. This episode contains material of a highly sensitive nature, including suicide, that may be triggering for some individuals. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or a crisis, the 988 Lifeline is available 24-7 across the U.S. Learn more by visiting 988lifeline.org. Kevin, welcome to Virginia Outdoor Adventures. Hey, Jessica, thank you so much for having me on Virginia Outdoor Adventures. I love your podcast, so I'm uh, very privileged and grateful to be here. What do you love about Virginia's outdoors? Well, I was born and raised in the great state of Virginia, and there's there's just so much to love from the Shenandoah Valley to the Shenandoah Mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, the Blue Ridge Parkway, and you have so much history with Jamestown and Williamsburg and so many rivers and you have the ocean and there's nothing like the fall colors and the waterfalls and so much wildlife and birds and bears and deer. And it's a beautiful state full of lovers because that's our slogan. Virginia is for lovers. Virginia is for outdoor lovers. That's right. Um, we're going to be talking about your personal story and your personal journey, and all of it is documented in this amazing book you wrote called Above the Ashes. Um, but this story documents a decision that you made to ride your bike 3,500 miles across the country. So I think I'm going to kick this off by letting you tell us a little bit about this journey. What led to your decision to ride your bike all the way across the country? Yeah. Um, after my last fire season in 2020, when I left Yosemite National Park, I started to have severe panic attacks uh, that fully crippled me for a long time. For about a year, I silently suffered and I lived in my own hell and I um, drank to cope through my issues. I was afraid to speak out about them. Um, and after a year of silently suffering and I stopped doing everything that I enjoyed, and I lived in this very dark, dark depression. I realized that I needed to make a change. And the best way to describe how I got into this journey is that in the past, I've hiked the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail, and I've done some bike tours from Mexico to Canada and a couple others. And those journeys always gave me faith and they uh, renewed my spirit and they breathed new life into me. And those challenges always put me in a very positive and happy place. 
there was two nights I really wanted, I was prepared to end my life. And uh, the night I was ready to kill myself, I um, was pretty drunk and I didn't want to live anymore. And I was sick of, of suffering in this hell in my own mind. And I decided I was going to drive my truck into a, a brick wall and I wouldn't hurt anyone else. And with my seatbelt off, hopefully I die. That's all I wanted to do was not be here anymore. And the room was dark, and I poured out probably 30, 40 pounds of dog food for my dog, Rocky. And I was crying, and I fed him goodbye. And when I went and grabbed the doorknob to leave my apartment, I felt like these hands on my shoulders. And I closed my eyes, and I could hear my father's voice in my head. And he just said, you never give up, son. You never give up. And something snapped in my mind. And I closed the door and I decided I couldn't give up and I needed to do something. And I remember looking at my bike and uh, just realizing that I needed to make a, a very big change. And in my book, I write about a quote, nothing changes if nothing changes. And I knew it was going to take a big change um in my life to get my to get my mind back in order and and to find some peace and clarity and overcome my my demons so that's why i began uh, my bike journey but it all happened so fast it was like one night i wanted to end my my life and um you know a few days later i'm on my way to california to start riding my bike across the country so for people who don't know you and you know didn't know you before they started reading this book, they might think it sounds kind of crazy that you went from one extreme to the next so quickly that you made this decision to commit to riding as far as you were going to ride. But it sounds like you already had a relationship with the outdoors in the past. You mentioned hiking the AT and the PCT. Um, I think also you had done a couple of other bike rides in the past as well. Didn't you also do a rim to rim hike of the grand canyon at one point i did yeah rim to rim to rim um i actually did that twice in one week the first time i did it rim to rim and then as like a backpacking trip rim to rim and then back the next day and i met uh, a very interesting ultra one uh runner woman uh, named Sunny that was doing it in a day and she I was we were hiking and talking for a while and she was like I bet you could do this and I called my one of my best friends uh slow mo Joe and I said come on down to the Grand Canyon and I think I did it on a Monday by myself in two days and then that Thursday he popped down and we left at like 6 a.m and did it in 16 hours 40 48 49 miles and 12,000 feet up and we did it in a t-shirt and shorts and carried a couple liters of water and some snacks. We had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've done these things before, hiking the John Muir Trail, I think four times, um, marathon running. So what is it about the outdoors that called you back? I mean, it seems like you already had a relationship with the outdoors. So what is it about your connection to the outdoors that made you decide that that's what you needed at that moment? Yeah, I think most of that, Jessica was uh, like subconscious. It was subconscious. It just all hit me so quick. It was like, I got to do something. I knew for, for myself personally, I couldn't stay in Salt Lake City in the winter, start going to therapy once or twice a week. And then it was just going to boom, I'm going to be cured in you know X amount of time. 
I knew I had to go and do something for myself. I had to push myself because there's no one coming to save you. You have to save yourself and lost all hope. And I was going out to ride my bike to find hope once again. You mentioned that you were out West and the reason for that is your job. Your job took you out West and that is a really important piece of this story as well. Do you want to talk about what your job is? Uh, I've been a wildland firefighter for the last five years. Uh, so we fight fires in the West, all over the West. Yeah, super fun, very rewarding job, uh, underpaid, but we always say we're paid in sunsets and uh, you're going to meet some remarkable people and a lot of com camaraderie and purpose and, and dedication. It's a, a, a true privilege to protect uh, the lands, the communities, the people and our public spaces. It's a very fun job, always moving and always busy. It keeps you in great physical physical shape, um, strength-wise and endurance-wise. And yeah, it's a wonderful job. Well, I have a ton of respect for you and other wildland firefighters and the work that you do. I think most people probably have a high level of respect for our first responders. But when we talk about first responders, I think we sometimes forget about wildland firefighters. I guess my level of respect is not just because I have a general idea of what you do. I obviously don't know everything that you do because I've never experienced it, but I have experienced a teeny tiny bit of it as I have a, the first level certification for wildland fire. Um, and I know when I first started helping um, DCR and some local parks in Virginia on prescribed fire or prescribed burns, um, I realized really quickly how hard it is, even on some of the easier jobs. And so it really put into perspective for me how difficult it must be for you and for the other wildland firefighters. I mean, you go into some pretty detailed descriptions of some of the job duties that you have to do. And I'm in complete awe. Like I think about the first time that I did prescribed fire and I was asked to take the drip torch and light the fire across a field. I thought, oh, this is going to be so easy. I'm just going to carry this torch. And, um, you know, I watched the guy in front of me do it. It was no big deal. And as soon as I got in there, I started getting tangled up in the branches and stepping in holes that I didn't know were there and tripping over fallen logs that I couldn't see. And, you know, you know what it's like when the moment the, the flame hits the ground, you hear this whoosh and the fire just goes up and it's right behind you. It's super hot. You hear it crackling. You hear it roaring. It's coming towards you. And you can't seem, it feels like you can't get out of the way quick enough. It's a really, really hard job. And that is just on a prescribed fire. I mean, can you describe a little bit about what you see and do on a daily basis? I think people would be really interested in this. So during fire season, which is five to six months, um, the first two weeks are what you call criticals. We're doing death by PowerPoint. We're training new people on, on chainsaws and we're hiking a lot, running a lot. Uh, when I was on a hotshot cruise, sometimes PT in the morning, we might go for a, a 10, 12, 13 mile trail run, you know, with elevation gain, or we're doing um, a lot of crisp, uh, CrossFit, carrying heavy stuff up mountains, hiking a ton with heavy stuff on our backs, um, chainsaws, whatever it is, Dolmars, fuel cans. And then after the first two weeks, we go nationally available, which means we can go to any fire incident or incident in general that we're called to. I've only gone to wildfires, um, but we're nationally available. So when I was on Snake River Hotshots, um, 
we went all over fires in California, Nevada, Utah, Wyoming, Colorado. Um, I've been on fires in New Mexico, Arizona. And the typical day is um, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. We work 16-hour shifts during the summer. Typically, when we're going direct, which is a lot of what we do, direct going direct means you're directly on one of the flanks of the fire. So you're right next to the fire and you're trying to control the edge. And we're cutting saw line, which means you're cutting everything 20 to 30 feet, whatever the, the spec is. Maybe it's only 10 feet. And then you're digging hand line down to mineral soil next to the fire. So you're trying to control it and uh, protect as much land as you can. So all day long, you're either running a saw or you're digging line. And you do that 16 hours a day for anywhere from 14 to 21 days. Um, there's some nights that we'll get called back to the line at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and we'll do uh, an all burn or, or something will flare up and, and we'll have to end up working the whole night too. I think my longest shift was 31 hours, something like that. And then you're trying to sleep in the, in the desert during the day and you can't sleep. Um, so it's a hot, hot and dirty job, but there you're out there with your brothers and sisters. Uh, it's a strong brotherhood, sisterhood out there and you're going through the same things. And, and the goal is just to keep the crew, um, keep the crew positive and, and keep moving. We got a goal and, and we got purpose and it's super hard work and we all know that and it's hot and uh, you just got to not complain and, and push forward. So do you feel like those conditions that you just described are one of the reasons why many wildland firefighters struggle with mental health? The main reason I think that wildland firefighters struggle with mental health is that we have this, what happens with fire season is we train all off season for the most part, preparing for fire season. And you start in April or May and you kind of go zero to a hundred. You go from, you know, whatever job you had before fire season, or maybe you didn't have a job to thrown in fire season, you're training real hard and you're trying to build this cohesiveness um, with the crew. And then you're constantly have this purpose. You're on a fire in Colorado and, you know, for 14 days, you're trying to save this neighborhood or you're on a fire in Nevada and you're trying to catch this hundred thousand acre fire, you know, and it's, you always have this big purpose and you have this big camaraderie. And then at the end of the season, um, everyone's laid off. The government lays you off. You lose your insurance. You lose your benefits. You're not getting paid anymore. And it's dark at five o'clock. And when you lose that giant sense of purpose and passion, I think that that hits us all very different, differently. Um, and I believe that's a, a big reason we have mental health issues within fight and fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you go from this crew mentality and this big purpose where we're running into this disaster and everyone else is running the other way and, and your butt off and you, you save homes and you save land and, and then you're sort of just thrown out to the, you know, do anything, which could be good. And I, I think a lot of people struggle though with, with mental health in the off season. So when you were experiencing your own mental health struggle, what was happening? Was that during one of the times that you had just left um, the end of the season? Yep. That happened in uh, November, 2020, uh, just about like the day I left and I could never ever pinpoint exactly why I started having severe panic attacks. Um, you know, a lot of built up trauma, uh, grief, a lot of things that I worked through on, on my bike ride, but there was no like, 
oh, I almost got hit by a tree yesterday or in a car accident or somebody died. There was no like, that's why incident. Um, I just started having severe panic attacks and they got worse and worse and worse and worse. And pretty much I'd have three or four a day and uh, they were debilitating. They were debilitating. Yeah, I I could imagine that a lot of people who are listening to this right now can probably relate. Um, Around this time last year, I did a podcast episode um, called Hiking to Heal. And it was the first time I had done an episode about um, mental health. And I wasn't sure what the response was going to be. And to my surprise, it was a hugely popular episode. And I got so many comments from people who listened thanking me for it and then of course tell me about their own situations so sometimes people had a situation where like say for example a family member had passed away but then other times it was like internal battles um and things that they were struggling with and i think this time of year too i mean it's january we just got off the holidays um i think this is a time of year when people feel you know the winter blues and they would like to get outside um but mm-hmm. it gets dark early it's cold all those things there's not there's not another holiday break to look forward to so i i think probably a lot of people would relate to that you've talked to a lot of folks since you've written this book like what is the kind of feedback that you get a lot of people that have read my book have told me that it has given them hope and inspiration. Um, and one of the biggest things people tell me is it helped them realize that they're not alone. And I think one of the biggest struggles we go through as humans, whether we're grieving or we're in a depression or we have panic attacks, whatever kind of mental health issues we have, we feel trapped and we feel alone and we're afraid to ask for help. I try to always remind people, you're not alone. Um, There's other people that can relate with you. And I tell people, you know, it's like things do get better, but it takes time for things to get better. And it's up to you to put in the effort to get better. And you have to keep showing up and you have to understand that you are good enough and that you are enough. But it's up to you to not give up and it's up to you to keep showing up. And I tell people, if you're trying to get over big hurdles, you can't take little steps. You have to take big, big leaps to get over big hurdles. And people have these big goals and they want these big changes, but they don't put in the effort. So when you want to change, you have to put in the effort. And it's little things, it's big things, you know, whatever it is. If you want to get in better shape, tie on your fucking shoes and go for a walk, go for a run, see how far you can get. And over time, you're able to run faster. And the same is mentally. You have to reteach your brain out of those negative um, moments and you have to heal through whatever trauma you went through and you have to go through those soberly. You have to feel those emotions and learn how to cope with them. But a big part of that's reteaching your brain and getting out of those negative thoughts. A lot of people get so contained in negativity and believing things won't work out and this sucks and this will never end. And that's where I was. I, I thought my panic attacks would never end. I thought this was my life from here on out. And that was my perspective. That wasn't my reality. And when I started riding my bike, I started to understand I had something years before this where I was happy, go luck, go lucky, go, go getter and positive. And this has only been a, a year, you know, 12 months of this silent suffering and this deep, dark depression. So I knew that that alone gave me hope that I could get better. And over time, I got out of that perspective that I was trapped in this and nothing was going to change because I 
changed my own reality. And my reality was I just had to fight and get through this. And I could. I could find hope again. I could find mental clarity again. I could and I have found peace again. But you have to believe in yourself and you have to make the change. No one's going to make it for you. You have to put in the work. No one's going to do the work for you. So if you want big changes, you have to put in big efforts. Listen up, friends. I have an important announcement regarding this podcast. Due to increasing production costs starting next month, this podcast will only be available to paid subscribers. Just kidding. Virginia Outdoor Adventures is always free for my listeners. But here are some facts. This podcast costs on average $850 a month plus 60 hours of labor to produce. That doesn't even include travel expenses, equipment, or marketing to promote the show. Contributions from listeners like you help defray the cost of producing quality episodes that serve as resources for your next adventure. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting me. Hit pause on your podcast player, go to your show notes and click on buy me a coffee where you can buy me a virtual coffee or sign up for a membership. Members have access to the complete list of links and resources from each episode. Members also receive Virginia Outdoor Adventures vinyl stickers and a shout out on the show. My sincere gratitude for the newest members of Virginia Outdoor Adventures. Jason from Alexandria, Derek from Richmond, Vicente from Rockingham, Kelly from Broadway, Joanne from Fairfax, Lisa from Manassas, Tim from Columbia, Carrie from Stevens City, Ellen from D.C., Parham from McLean, and Rob from Springfield. Thank you so much for your support. When you made the decision to ride your bike across the country, um, other than doing this for your own mental health, was there anything else that you were hoping to accomplish? Uh, yes, there was. I had three goals uh, when I started riding my bike. The goal was to, it was almost, the, the book title is Above the Ashes, but it was almost pedaling to peace. Um, my first goal was to find peace and clarity um, in my mind again, to find calmness. My second goal was to raise money for the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. So the night I almost killed myself and I had that miracle happened where uh, my father told me to never give up. That night, the miracle happened. I called the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. I told them I was in a, a deep rut and I needed some help. And I'm riding my bike across the country and I want to raise money for you. And Burke Minder called me back the next morning. Um the director of the foundation and totally have my back a hundred percent. So my second goal was to raise money for the wildland firefighter foundation who helps um, families after a wildland firefighter is killed in the line of duty. And they also um, help firefighters with mental health issues, with therapy. They have their hands in, in so many different ways to help um, my brothers and sisters out there. So those are the first two goals. And then the third goal was to raise awareness especially in men about mental health mental health awareness mental health matters so i was did a bunch of podcasts i was on some some news local news channels and um in a couple newspapers and i just wanted to raise awareness about uh mental health and uh i believe at the end of my bike ride i accomplished those things i raised about $25,000 for the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. I raised a lot of awareness about mental health. 
And I found peace and stillness and calmness to my mind. And that doesn't mean I'm cured or everything's better. It just means that I have better tools in my toolkit through those scenarios when they do arise. And I'm stronger now. Was there ever any point during your journey that you thought you might not make it to the end? Absolutely not. I've never given up on a on a long distance journey. Um, I did, never giving up spirit. Although I almost did give up when I wanted to take my life, I didn't. I just I never doubt myself ever. I never don't believe I cannot do something. Especially being a hotshot firefighter, we don't even need the tools and we can get the job done. So there's always a way to work around it. Um, on the bike ride, I was so screwed up in the head. Um, riding my bike was bringing me so much peace through those challenges. Um, I could have rode forever. But no, there's not a, a moment when I'm hiking the AT, the PCT, uh, riding my bike from Canada. To my, there's not a moment in my head that I don't want to be there because those are some of the best moments in life on these big adventures. And I've not once ever, ever, ever thought I couldn't make it. Yeah, you mentioned in your book that your mental toughness, you credit partially to being a wildland firefighter, but then you also um, give partial credit to your long distance hiking, to running, to cycling. And you talked about how the more you did it, the more those past accomplishments came back to you. And you thought, if I've done this in the past, then I can also do this task too. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And then one big thing that sticks with me is uh, just from when I was a child, my father used to always tell me, you always finish what you start. And I'm sure many people have heard that, but I took that like to heart when I was a kid and everything I do, I look at it like that, like finish what you start, see it through, see it through, trust the process, you know, and uh, that's sort of just how I live. And so I finish what I start. Thanks, dad. <laughs> Is it okay if I read um, a passage from your book? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, awesome. So this paragraph, you were talking about a particular mountain that you were riding up and um, how steep it was, how difficult it was. And here you say, it takes me so much mental fortitude on this climb. Thank goodness I had never ridden this road before. There lies a true joy in not knowing when a climb will end or begin. You're forced to just pedal and your mind can't get in the way of knowing every turn and distracted with how far or how close you are to something or to the top. You just simply climb and pedal to get there. Mental fortitude is so important in life. It is defined as the ability to focus on and execute solutions when in the face of uncertainty or adversity. This was my whole mission, broken into two parts. I needed mental fortitude to combat my panic disorder and depression. It was in the day-by-day -day challenges that I was getting better and stronger. I also needed this fortitude to pedal up mountains, to pedal from sun up to sundown. The entire route was one of uncertainty and today threw a lot of adversity at me. Towing a lot of weight in the dry desert, exposed heat with no shoulder in dangerous traffic, crawling up a steep pitch for endless miles and thousands of feet. Mental fortitude got me through it. So I guess my question for you, Kevin, is if somebody's listening to this or they're reading your book, what would you say to somebody who believes that they might not have the mental fortitude to take on a big challenge like this? I would say that you are lying to yourself. 
we all have that warrior spirit. We all have this we can do anything mentality. We suppress that. And I don't know why. Nothing in this world that you can't do. We limit ourselves constantly. We limit ourselves on what we can achieve in, in life. So I would say that you're just lying to yourself and you can do it. There's there's nothing you can't do. And there's millions of inspiring stories out there of people that did incredible things that we thought weren't possible. So we set these limitations, but we also know nothing's impossible. So why do we stop ourselves? I'd say you're just lying to yourself if you don't think you can do, you can go hike that far, you can run that far, you can bike that far. And that's that negative, negative energy and you're a product of your environment. So if like you're negative in your own head, then you're probably gonna be negative around the people you're around. So you got to be positive, like have a positive energy, be optimistic and surround yourself with positive people. Your book is just peppered with these inspirational moments throughout your journey and memorable moments too, from the people you met to the folks that helped you get through it. There's a, a chapter in here that your dad wrote about the, the 10 days that he spent with you um, and just how inspired people were when they met you and the appreciation that came from the people that you met along the way. There's no way to even start to describe all of those um, right here, but I'm just wondering, do you have any moments from your journey that stick out in your mind that were the most memorable or maybe even just the most meaningful to you? Yes, I do. And yes, we don't have enough time to go over all of them. That's why you have to read one of the just like right place, right time, you know, God or energy, someone somewhere was looking over me. And it was when I was passing over the Apaches sacred lands in Arizona. And I got interviewed on Fox 10 in Phoenix the, a day or two before. And I happened to be riding my bicycle, uh, you know, down the, the road, um, through the reservation that next day. And I walked into this burger joint called the Apache Burger, a big gas station with a little restaurant right on the side. And when I was standing in line, um, there was this big, big football looking player, Apache in front of me. And he turned around and I had Rocky with me. And he goes, is that Rocky? Are you the guy that was on the news last night? And I was trying to be humble and I was like, no, no, <laughs> like trying to shush him down because there's 50 whatever people in the restaurant. And he turns around to the restaurant and goes, hey, look, everyone, this is the firefighter riding his bike across the country. He was on the news last night and people started clapping. And, you know, it was kind of uh, embarrassing. You know, your face turned red, um, but it was pretty cool. And then he told me um, after I made my order, went out front, he told me that he was a youth leader, uh, council youth leader, and he had a group of um, young men that just left a um, like a tribal dance and, and ceremony. And he said, we would like to sing an ancient Apache song to you and Rocky. And the song is called Going Home that we had been singing for thousands of years. They'd sing it for if the Apaches went on raids or if it was when the men went out hunting, they'd, they'd sing this song that they'd come home safely. And uh, a couple of the boys went into the, the bus they had and got a drum and they got in a circle. And in their native tongue, they sung me this, this 10, 
15 minute song um all in apache called going home and it was one of the most touching moments i've ever had in my life it it was really cool and i started tearing up and rocky was sitting there listening and yeah it was beautiful and it was just moments like that that were breathing life back into me and and people were so kind but i don't think a moment like that where um, some Apaches wish you prayers and, and strength for getting home safely will ever happen again. That's amazing. I don't think I would have been able to keep it together if it were me. I would have been sobbing. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. And the, the Apaches were so good to me. The next uh, the next morning, I pulled up um, to fill up my water bottles at a gas station, and a Apache pulled up next to me. And he said, hey, aren't you that, that guy I saw on the news riding his bike across the country? And he had this big knife this big knife on his hip and he was in the car with his with his wife and he was like oh you got to get a picture of us and he pulls out his big knife and he has this this nice cowboy hat on very nice cowboy hat and it's got an arrowhead on it and it's tied with sinew and he pulls it he takes his hat off and he cuts off the arrowhead off his hat and he says i want to give you this brother to keep you safe on on your journey this will keep you safe and he gives me this beautiful arrowhead. I keep it in my wallet. I carry it with me to this day everywhere I go. Um, so I had those two big moments happen. And after he gave me the arrowhead, um, there was a white lady that worked at the gas station. And she was married to an Apache. And she sort of saw the transaction. And she came over and she was like, I don't know who you are, but that never happens. The, like I guess those cowboy hats are usually gifted by an elder or his grandfather with an arrowhead on it. And she said, those are never cut off and gifted to a white man. So you're definitely going to be safe on your journey. So wow. I was totally humbled, 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 and had a lot of meaningful connections through my time uh, on the sacred Apache lands. And um, very meaningful, very meaningful. And it, it was just moments like that were so big in, in my transformation, so big. And I had so many um, wildland firefighters help me out across the way uh, from California all the way to, to Florida. Uh, my dad came out for 10 days, which meant the world to me having that support. So I felt like when I spoke out within my community, the wildland fire community, when I was just honest and raw and vulnerable and was like, I'm living in a mental health I'm super depressed. I almost killed myself a week ago. I'm riding my bike across the country trying to raise money for the foundation. I'm trying to help others and, and gain strength um, on my own. And uh, people just came together from all over. People helped me in every state. And I was so blessed to have lived the journey um, that I lived and wrote about in my book. Yeah, it seems unreal sometimes when someone's like, asked me about a story in here i'm like yeah the whole it it does seem unreal you know just i was the the, the right place at the right time and i made a great decision to fight my demons head on and uh i was blessed with uh a lot of grace and, and compassion and empathy from some great americans and i think sometimes in, in the news and stuff we get distracted but it's a beautiful world we live in and it's full of beautiful loving caring people Humanity is good.
When I was reading your book, I kept thinking how special it was to have this type of experience because you're disconnected from social media and the news and all of you know, the daily responsibilities that most people have to deal with. Um, the closest thing that I could relate it to is like long distance hiking, right? When when people go backpacking or especially if they're you know doing a, a long distance trail like the AT, they talk about um, how that how disconnecting from that you know the every the day to day, I guess and reconnecting with yourself, with nature, and then the people that you meet on the trail. I mean, that kind of sounds like a similar experience that you had here, except that that story that you just told about, um, you know, the dance and receiving the gift, like your whole book is full of full of incidents where things like that happen, where you couldn't even, you know, guess that 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 was going to happen, um, where people were just so gracious to you and welcoming and wanted to help you throughout the journey. Um, what was it like for you when the journey finally ended? I mean, you started in California, and I believe your ride ended in Florida. What was going through your head when you crossed the finish line? And did you have any withdrawals similar to what a long distance hiker might have when they come off the trail oh when i got to st augustine i was tired i was tired i really cranked out the last it might sound crazy but i probably cranked out the last 2,000 miles out of 3,500 but when i got down to like alabama mississippi louisiana and then uh, i was doing big days 80 to 100 mile days i think my biggest day into gainesville was a hundred and 1,820 miles. Oh my gosh, um, Kevin. Wow. So I was tired when I got finished. Um, but the craziest thing, Jessica, was I went from having three or four panic attacks a day to being deeply, deeply depressed. And I lost all hope to on this bike trip. I think I had two panic attacks the whole trip. I broke out of my depression. I saw the light again and I regained hope so i just felt when i crossed that finish line i um it was also like a, a a finish line in my mind right like i made this enormous change i retaught my brain and i found clarity and but i was tired but i was very i was just grateful that i had that experience that i had the the time to do something like that and i think that's one thing that that people don't understand. Like if you're messed up or maybe you're not messed up, you always have the time to go for a long distance hike, to go ride your bike across the country. It comes back to that, how we set limitations upon ourselves. And of course that gets harder when you're married and you have kids, or if you're taking care of your, your grandmother, there's some situations that might not make that as feasible as others, but anything is possible when we believe it's possible. Um, but it was great. I finished on my mom's. It's funny, right when I started, I jokingly um, told my mom I was going to finish on her birthday, December 19th. And I didn't notice it for two or three days, but I, I actually finished on December 18th, 2021 on my mom's birthday. I'll bet she loved that. Was she there at the finish line? Um, no, none of my family was there. Um, after I finished, I spent a couple of days on the beach and then went home for Christmas. I took the train back up for Christmas and we had some really nice holidays together and went back to Salt Lake City and I started writing my book. 
So it probably was a nice transition then, because I know a lot of people struggle sometimes when they come off trail or they come off of big journeys like this one, readjusting to normal life again. Yeah, and I, I can definitely see that with um, long distance hiking. Um, you just make so many friends long distance hiking and endurance, and you get to see a new sunrise, new sunset, new camp spots, but you make a lot of friends on long distance hiking. We always say the people are the trail. And cycling is a lot different. I met three people that were riding their bike cross country in, in those two months on the Southern Tier, which is a, a popular route that time of year. Um, so there's not that camaraderie. You're uh, on your own for the most part, which being on my own is part of what healed me. Like being out on a 70, 80 mile stretch with no services and I couldn't call a friend. I couldn't go to the bar. I couldn't go to the liquor store. Like I had to confront all my demons and I had to, to face them. I had to face everything that I was going through on my own, riding my bike in the middle of nowhere. And that's what helped me push through because I didn't, I didn't run. I didn't escape anymore. I, I fought them uh, dead on, but no, I didn't get any really withdrawals or, or missing the trail. I, I came for something and I, I left with a lot of something. I felt great when I finished. I, I came and, and did what I wanted and, and I came out a new man. A better man. So you wrote your book above the ashes, but um, I have a feeling that's not going to be the end of the journey for you, Kevin. What's next for you? This year, I've been working on a children's book series called Bark Ranger, which is awesome. And it's almost done and it's almost in print. Um, so I've been working on this children's book series. I've written the first four books and I have a wonderful illustrator that's also a long distance hiker. Her trail name is V-Dub, but her name's Rebecca Harnish. And uh, it's been a pleasure working with her and she's bringing my words to life. And I got the children's books going on and I'm also working on a second book that probably will be out for a few years. Just more of my life and, and more of my journeys and uh, talking about helping others and, and different cool stuff that I think will inspire us. So people should probably follow you. So how is the best way for listeners to connect with you? Probably Instagram. Uh, my my username on there is Backcountry Ninjas. Um, and then you can get my book on Amazon or you can get it on my website, which is KevinTheAuthor.com. But yeah, I do. I usually just post stuff on Instagram, Backcountry Ninjas. Okay. I will link that in the show notes so that people can just click on it and get right to your page. Um, so Kevin, here's a question that I ask several of my guests at the end of an episode, and I'm really curious to hear what you're going to say, but do you have one piece of outdoor gear that you can't live without? I like having a bright headlight and a sturdy rain jacket and a really high quality sleeping bag. The thing I can't live without is hiking without my dog. <laughs> with Rocky. Rocky's kind of a star too. It's not just you. <laughs> Rocky is the star. 90% of the people I randomly meet um, that happen to recognize, not recognize me, it's normally at like a fire event or somewhere speaking. Um, they always say, there's Rocky. There's Rocky. You never hear, there's Kevin. It's, there's Rocky. So yeah, no, he is a famous dog. Even on my bike ride, we were on the news a ton of times. I'd meet people at hotels or restaurants and they'd say there's rocky we saw him on the news <laughs> so <laughs> that's he's, really he's cute semi-famous and he's yeah. gonna be real famous because in bark ranger it's 
the first one takes place in Yosemite, Rocky in Yosemite National Park. So Rocky's the star. He's the hero of all my children's children's book stories. Oh, I cannot wait. He's so cute. There's some great photos in your book of Rocky in the trailer that you had attached to your bike to pull him along. So he's so cute. You know, he looks like a dog sticking his car or his head out of a car window, except that he's sticking his head out of a, a trailer on the back of a bike. It's really adorable. Right, exactly. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for being a guest on Virginia Outdoor Adventures. Um, I hope that everybody picks up your book Above the Ashes, and I will be sure to to put a link to it in the show notes so people can find it easily. Um, and the next time you're in Virginia, let's let's meet up. Maybe we can do, we never even talked about how we met. I didn't, we didn't even mention the fact that you and I um, worked out a prescribed fire together. That's right. What a day. It was, was a it great was way a day. To, to meet each other, huh? Yeah, actually, well, you know, the real story is I was at Sky Meadow State Park um, for their astronomy program one night, and I was like waiting in the car for the program to start because you didn't have to wait for it to get dark, and it was freezing, so I was shivering. And I'm in my car, and I look over, and there's this white van with all of these inspirational quotes, like written all over the outside of it. And I'm like, what's this? What's going on here? And there was an Instagram handle. So while I was sitting in my car waiting, um, I looked up your account and I was like, wow, this, this guy looks really interesting. And so we connected and <laughs> you were like, I wanted to meet you, but you were getting ready to go out west to start the new fire season. And so we only had like a window of a few days and my mm -hmm. schedule was really packed, but I was, I happened to be volunteering on a prescribed fire. And I said, Hey, why don't, why don't you come along? You're qualified to join. <laughs> So that that was that was really interesting because to see you in action was fascinating to to me to compare what uh you know what the average volunteer's knowledge is of fire versus a professional. I mean, you were like leaps and bounds above all the rest of us. I remember there was one point you um you were on the the walkie-talkie um talking to the burn crew leader and you were talking all of this like i, I can't even so i'm not going to do this any justice but you know all the <laughs> technical vocabulary and terminology and things that people use on fire and you were just spewing it all out and the response on the other side of the mic was silence <laughs> I don't think the <laughs> I don't think the bird crew manager even knew how to respond, and then he was like, uh, "Thanks, Kevin." <laughs> I, I vaguely remember that. That's funny. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was definitely interesting, but it was a lot of fun. It was really great to meet you and to hear about your wildland fire stories. I think what people don't understand about prescribed fire is it's actually very boring, and that's a good thing, right? Like it means that everything's under control. So often there's a lot of just standing around and watching things burn. So you and I spent several hours just standing around watching things burn and then getting to know each other and talking about your experiences. And um, it was just a really fun time. And you're, you're such an interesting person, Kevin. And I think I told you at the end of that day that it's just a pleasure to know somebody who loves life as much as you do. Oh, that's so kind of you to say. Thank you. I do enjoy life. Well, you come out West and prescribe fires a lot different than <laughs> than what we were doing yeah we're not standing around a lot no we'll, i'll be on prescribed fires out here that are you know a thousand five thousand something acres and yeah we're in people's backyards and we got helicopters helping us out and yeah we get a little more involved but sometimes yeah it's a lot of standing around and waiting yeah it just depends yeah, yeah i guess it fire. does depend that was a, yeah that was a great day a great way for us to meet 
and become friends. Yeah, I enjoyed that day. That's pretty cool. All right, Kevin, again, thank you so much for being a guest on Virginia Outdoor Adventures. Thank you so much for having me. I do want to say one last thing, Jessica. Yes, go um, for it. I heard this the other day. It was an acronym for fear. Fear, false evidence appearing real. And so many times uh, fear kills people's dreams. So we have to conquer our fears and we have to vigorously and with tenacity chase and live our dreams. We have one life to live. We need to take risks. We need to live without fear. We need to live for today. We need to carry on. We need to be good to the world and good to ourselves. Our time is not guaranteed and it's unpredictable. So love yourself, love others, and never give up. Never give up. Thanks, Kevin. Adventure on. Adventure on. Happy trails. Thanks, Jessica. Links and resources from this episode are in the show notes of your listening app and on the website at virginiaoutdooradventures.com. If you enjoyed the show, help spread the word by sharing your favorite episode with friends or on social media. Leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts also helps new listeners discover the show. Get news and information about outdoor adventures close to home by signing up for my newsletter. Click on newsletter sign up in your show notes or visit virginiaoutdooradventures.com. I love hearing from my listeners. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook or email me at jessica at virginiaoutdooradventures.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, adventure on.